Today we're reading from the book of John, chapter 5, verses 30 through 47. If you can um, find it in your Bible, on your app, or you can follow along behind me. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that that testimony that he bears about me is true. You send to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, today we're finishing up the fifth chapter of John. Uh, Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus heal a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. Now, that man didn't deserve a miracle. He didn't earn a miracle in any way. In fact, what we saw about him is that he was pretty ungrateful. Uh, Jesus even had to warn him later on whenever he saw him to, to turn away from his sin lest something worse should happen to him. And then last week, what we began to see, and we're going to see it this week as well, is the fallout from that miracle that Jesus performed. An amazing miracle, healing a man who had been paralyzed, had been lame and helpless for 38 years. But what happens is instead of Jesus being lauded and applauded and people saying, wow, isn't this amazing? First of all, this man who is actually healed, he runs and tells the authorities, hey, it was Jesus that healed me on the Sabbath. He's the one who should be in trouble. And then the authorities become angry and they become angry enough they seek to kill Jesus. Now, why, the question should be, why should that be the response to such an amazingly, astonishingly beautiful miracle? I mean, this man was lame for 38 years and now he can walk. Why would this be the response? Why would they want to to kill him? It was because of why Jesus claimed that he could not only heal this man, but why he could do it on the Sabbath, because there was supposed to be no work to be done on the Sabbath. This is what he says in John 15, 16 through 18, before we, our passage this week. 
And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, and this is the key thing, he said, my father is working until now, and I am working. And it says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only, this is why, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with the Father. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I, I did this amazing miracle and I could do it on the Sabbath because I'm not just doing it on my own. I'm not just some guy out here performing tricks. I'm not even a prophet who's performing, performing miracles. He claimed not just equality with God, but he claimed that he was one with God the Father. What he's saying was that he, the Father and I are one. He was saying, I, Jesus saying, that he was God. He was saying, I am God. And that's why. That's why Jesus isn't just a beloved figure in history. It's easy to think about him that way. Everybody likes Jesus. He taught that we should love one another. He performed these miracles, even if you don't believe in them or not sure what to believe about them. It's easy to think Jesus is just a beloved figure in history. And everybody likes Jesus. You think he might be. But he is, he is actually, he is the most beloved person in history, but he's not just beloved. He's the most beloved person in history, but he's also the most despised and the most hated person in history. And those are really the only options that we have. You can love and worship Jesus, or you can hate him. But there is no middle ground. You can love him and worship him, or you can hate him and despise him, because those are the only options that he gives us. Because these are his claims. He says, I am one with the Father. I have life in myself. That's what he said in verse 26. I can grant life, he says, verses 21 through 24. He says, the Father and I are one. I am one with God. I am God. I am the one who has life within himself. And I have the ability to grant life. And he says, I have been appointed by the Father as the judge of everyone everywhere. Jesus said, I and the Father are doing these wonderful things so that, this is what he says, so that you may marvel. Not so that you could sign on to the club that I'm trying to, desperately trying to get you to come on board with me. Sometimes, don't we view Jesus that way? As, as if he's desperately trying to beg us, please join my team. Please, won't you please join my team? As if he's begging for people to get on his side. He says, I and the Father are one. I have life in myself. I grant life. I'm the judge. And I do these things so that you may marvel. He also said that the judgment was given to him by the Father so that all may honor Jesus, the Son, as they honor the Father. He's saying, I am God and I am worthy. This is what he's saying. He says, I am worthy of worship. And he's saying, you are to worship me. That's what I'm saying. Now, that's a huge thing. It's an absolutely huge thing. Because if that is true, if, that's, if this is who Jesus is saying that he is, and if he's saying, because that is who I am, I am deserving of all worship. 
It means that Jesus must be, he must be the biggest, not just the biggest, but the central thing in all of our lives. That means everyone, everywhere, Jesus should be not just the main thing in our lives, not just the biggest thing in our lives, but the central thing, the the center that everything else comes out of. That means that no matter who you are, no matter what has been important to you, no matter what you have been about, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is what he says he is, then he deserves all worship. He deserves to be the central, the heaviest, the main thing in your life. Have you ever laid on a a partially deflated air mattress with somebody else? Whoever's the heaviest person on that air mattress pulls everything else into them. And Jesus is saying, that's who I'm to be in your life. The force of gravity, the center that pulls you into everything. I must be the the main thing, the heaviest thing in all of your life. And not only if if he is who he says he is, but if he has done all that he claimed that he was doing, then he is deserving of worship. Namely, giving life to those who are dead. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Whoever believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. That's true. Then he deserves to be the one for whom you do everything in your life. Not just the biggest part of your life, but the one for whom you do everything. That's what worship is, by the way. To worship something is to acknowledge that it deserves all honor and all respect. It means to give reverence and devotion. By definition, worship can't be something that you add onto your life. You can't, by definition, you can't say that you worship Jesus if you live most of your life however you want to live it, and then you come and you give him some time on the weekends. By definition, that's not worship. You can call what you do here worship. We are singing songs of worship. We're hearing the word taught and proclaimed, which in itself is worship, but you are not a worshiper of Jesus Christ because everything that you do is not directed towards him. Worship must be all, it must be everything, or it's nothing. And here's Jesus, he shows up, and he says, that, that is what is due to me. He's saying, that's the only way you can relate to me. That's the only way you can relate to me. But to this crowd, it hasn't made a difference. Now, there are others to whom it did. There are others who believed in him. But this group, these so-called religious leaders, these so-called religious authorities, his claims didn't make enough difference to them. They didn't want to worship him. In fact, his words made them hate him. They literally wanted him dead. What we said last week was, if there is someone who claims to be God and truly believes that they are, then you either have to worship them or you have to kill them. If someone claims to be God, you either have to worship them or you have to kill them. Either Jesus is due everything you are and everything that you have, or he was the worst man to ever live. But here we get to one of the most, I think, today and 
In Western society, particularly in the American South, we get to one of the most insidious plans of the enemy of your soul. And that is not to have to think about Jesus according to the terms that he sets, but to rather to consider him with sort of a, a mind-numbed ignorance. I'd rather have my mind numbed by entertainment, by wealth, by comfort, by substances. I'd rather have my mind numbed by anything that will keep my mind numbed than have to consider the claims of Jesus on me and on my life. Or we have a detached kind of general respect for Jesus that's so far removed from his actual claims for who he was and what he was doing that we can't just say that Jesus was a great guy. He was a good man. But both of those, a mind-numbed ignorance or a general detached kind of respect are really insults to him. You see, it's terrible for these guys to have wanted to kill the Son of God on their resume. Like, that's not something that you want to have on your resume. But at least these Jewish authorities got it. They understood exactly who Jesus was saying he was and what he was claiming was due to him. And they just outright rejected him and they hated him for the claims. You see, that's the clever trick of the enemy. The great enemy of God and man is especially now today in our American South and the global West to keep us from acknowledging how much we actually hate and how much rebellion we feel against God. By keeping these claims of Jesus at arm's length or treating him, his, his life and his sayings as some sort of movie that we like to skip over certain parts. Hey, I'll take his moral teachings. I'll take his miracles. But I won't take those claims on my life. But the real Jesus, the one that we see here, He's claiming, and he's claiming in you and me, just as he was to these authorities, he's claiming, I am the Son of God. I hold all life and authority and judgment in my hand, and I am to be the central figure in all that you think and say and do. You are to love me with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. But what if... What if you, if you're being real with yourself today, what if his, his claims to you really don't make that big a difference to you? What if his claims that I should be the central thing in your life? I should be the one that you worship. I should be the one that you love with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. What if his claims don't make that big a difference to you? What if, what if his claims on your life haven't affected every part of who you are? What if he hasn't become the object of all that you say or do? What if you haven't rearranged your life around who he is and his claims on your life? This is where Jesus says in our passage, he says, look, I'm not just a man who's making these astounding claims. I'm not just some man who showed up saying, hey, worship me and you're just take my word for it, though we should because he is the son of God. In fact, he says otherwise, it, it would be great if you just accepted me for my claims. But he says, in case you want, he, what he does is he calls in these witnesses. And if you heard it in our passage, he calls in four witnesses to say, hey, these, if you won't take my word for it, then here are these witnesses that all claim 
that I am who I say I am, and you owe me all that I say that you owe me. Jesus says, look at the witnesses that corroborate who he is. He says, I can do nothing, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. You hear what he's saying? If I alone bear witness to myself, my testimony is not true. There is another, he's speaking of the Father here, there's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. And then he lists these four witnesses. Remember, Jesus is talking to skeptics. So if you're here today, and you're a skeptic, or you say, hey, Jesus has not had this sort of effect on my life, he's addressing these witnesses to you this morning. If you won't take my word alone for it, listen to these witnesses. I'm calling them to the stand, as it were. In a courtroom, he's calling these four witnesses, come and testify to who I am, that who I am, who I say I am, and I am doing and will do what I have said I'm here to do. The first witness, and these witnesses sort of stack on top of each other. They get bigger as we go along. The first witness he calls is John the Baptist. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. I want you to hear that this morning. I say this, these things so that you may be saved. Hey, even in your skepticism, even in your doubt, even in your rebellion, even in your not following after him, even in your not giving him the glory and honor that is due to him in your life, He comes to you, the doubter and the skeptic, and says, I say these things to you so that you might be saved. What a loving, gracious God he is. What a loving and gracious Savior he is. He, that's talking about John the Baptist, was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Well, there had been nobody in the history of Israel like John the Baptist. Nobody. In fact, Jesus says there had been no one greater than John the Baptist. And, and there had been no, one, no prophet at all in Israel, nobody who spoke the word straight from God's mouth to the people for over 400 years. So whenever he showed up and he begins to, begins to preach out in the wilderness, it causes a, a giant stir, and it caused such a stir, such an amazing, powerful ministry that everybody had to admit that his ministry was from God. So much so that these same authorities, <laughs> these same authorities that are, that are wanting to kill Jesus, they had sent a delegation to John, and they even asked him, hey, who are you? Are you, or you happen to be the Messiah, the Savior, the one that we've been waiting for all this time? But what were the marks of his ministry? What was it that, that caused them to, to, take a, to, to give so much attention to him? And why did Jesus say that John was a witness to him, to Jesus being of, uh, the Son of God, sent from God, and worthy of all worship and all faith? Well, John showed up and he preached holiness. He preached against sin. He confronted the people with their sins. He said, hey, you're not, you're, you're not dealing 
uh, properly and justly in business. You're not giving God the worship that is due to him. You're living your life however you want to, and you think just because you carry the name Jew, you're going to be okay. Just like a lot of us think, just because I carry the name Christian, or I attend church more Sundays than I don't attend church, that I'm going to be okay. He says, no. If you're living in rebellion against God, you're sinning, you must return and come back to God, for God is a holy God. And he does not dwell with sin. I want you to hear that. God is a holy God. He doesn't dwell with sin. There's no mixing of light and darkness in him. If you have committed one sin in your life, you are stained. I am stained. And there's no way that we can wash it off. And there's no way that we can stand in the presence of a holy God. John the Baptist preached that. He preached against injustice. He says, hey, you, you, uh, you soldiers, you tax collectors, you should only be taking what is due to you. You shouldn't be grifting off, using your power to grift off the people who are underneath you. He preached against sin and against, preached against injustice. And you know what he did? By the power of the Holy Spirit, it caused many people to want to change. They came to him and they were baptized for repentance from their sins in the Jordan. But here's the thing, just them seeing that God is holy and they are sinful and just desiring to change, seeing their need to change and coming and even being baptized to signify that change, he said that's simply not enough. Sure, come and be baptized for the repentance, for the forgiveness of your sins, but that's not enough. You know why we know that he says that's not enough? One day Jesus walks by and he says, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Your work, your repentance, your being baptized in the Jordan, it can't take away your sin. You need someone who will come and take away your sin and the sin of the whole world. He said, this is the one, Jesus, he's the one who's come to take away the sin of the world. And he said, and that also isn't enough, because it's not enough for you just to be forgiven of your sin and your slate, your past slate wiped clean, because what are you going to do whenever you walk out of this moment, if that's true? You're going to flub it up royally as soon as you get out of here. How many times have you, if you've gone to church a lot, how many times have you been in church, felt like, man, I've, I've experienced the presence of God, I heard the word of God, man, I have met with God and his people today, and like two minutes into the car with your spouse or friend or kids, like it's like hell broke loose in that place. This does very little good for you to have your past slate wiped clean if nothing can come in and cause you to actually change. That's what he says. Not only did he say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he said, there's one who is coming and he will baptize you or pour out his spirit upon you. And he says, this is the one. Jesus, he says, that's the one. I did not, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit that will cause not only the slate to be made clean, but will put his spirit within you and cause you the ability to change, to be a different person. He says, John testified to me. 
then he calls the next witness. He says, look, if you won't even pay attention to John, and you did pay some attention to him, but here's my next witness come up. Look at the works that I've done, he says, verse 36. But the testimony that I have is even greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, healing that man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus was saying that the signs, the miracles, the ministry of Jesus. Peter said in Acts 10, he said, you know about the ministry of Jesus, how he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil before God was with him. He said the signs, the healings, the miracles, my ministry, even pointing ahead to things that they didn't even know would happen yet, the crucifixion, his burial, his mighty resurrection. He says the works that I'm doing testify or declare to who I am. The works of Jesus brought a taste of the wholeness of putting together brokenness, of redemption, of bringing light to darkness. You you see that in ministries of Jesus? He went about those who were sick, he healed them. Those who were, he raised the actual dead whose parents were mourning at untimely deaths. He fed the people who were hungry He went to the lepers that no one would touch, and he touched them and healed them and made them whole. The woman who was bleeding touched his garment and she was made whole. He went to the woman who was about to die because she was being accused of adultery, and he saved her and pulled her back, told her then to go and sin no more. The works that Jesus did are beautiful pictures of the redemption and the wholeness that God is bringing to our broken, dark, hurting world. Have you experienced some of that brokenness and that darkness even this week in your family, in your relationships? Maybe you've mourned decisions that you've made that, where you caused brokenness and hurt to the people around you, and you've seen far-reaching effects. Jesus says, I came and I did these miracles and before these, performed these signs as a picture to you of what it means for God to be in charge, where wholeness and peace and justice reign. Where that which has been wrong is redeemed. That which is broken is made whole. The works of Jesus showed the inbreaking of the kingdom of God on earth. And he says they were signs pointing to him that he was the long-awaited king. That's what your heart's longing for. Your heart's longing for the long-awaited king to return and to rule over your life and to make all things new, to redeem that which is broken and scarred. And he says these were signs from the Father, the works of the Father that he worked t- together. I'm showing you what the Father is like and the Father is showing you who I am so that you would know who I am. There's some of you here Maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you haven't been born again, but you've heard the stories of people around you, the works that he's done in their life, the ways that he's redeemed their marriage or redeemed their relationships, the way he's made them whole, the way he changed them from who they were before. They're a totally different person today than they were one year ago, 10 years ago. They're testimonies of his works. Do you hear them? Do you hear his works? The testimony that they're testifying 
He gave the testimony of John the Baptist, the testimony of his works. And then he says, and you have my scripture. You search the scriptures, he says in verse 39, because you think in them that you have eternal life. And he says, it's them that testify of me. They're telling you who I am, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Verse 46, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Now, this is who he's talking to. He's talking to Jewish leaders and authorities. Who their biggest role, these priests, these leaders, was to, be pre- to prepare every day and then annually all the different sacrifices that God had ordained for his people. You see, God gave them their law that's summed up in the, in the Ten Commandments, but he gave even way more than that. He told them, this is how you should live your life. But you know what he did? He didn't just give them the law and said, this is how you should live your life. Don't do this, do this, which he did. But then he said, hey, you know what? You're going to break that law consistently and constantly. And here's what I'm going to do for you. Because the wages of sin is death. I'm going to provide a way to the sacrificial system where these bulls and rams and pigeons and all these animals will come and they'll be sacrificed and their blood will atone for your sin. The lifeblood, the representation of life in these animals will atone for your sin, but they knew they wouldn't permanently atone for their sin because they had to be offered daily and yearly over and over and over again in the temple. He says, you're going to sin, and here's my atonement for that sin. But he's, what he's saying is, it's not sufficient to what's called to expiate or to cleanse or to sponge away your guilt. Nor is it enough to what's called propitiate or to satisfy or to change God's heart, God's wrath towards us because of our sin to that of forgiveness. He's a loving God, always. But that love manifests in wrath for those who rebel against him, for rebellion against him. And he says that law pointed to the need for me to come and be the lamb, the lamb who would be slain for your sin once for all. The sins that you've done in the past, the sins that you're doing right now, and the sins that you will commit in the future. And I am the one, I am the proof. Jesus is saying, I am the proof that God loves you and desires for his wrath to be propitiated by me, by my sacrifice on your behalf. The law spoke of me. If you had read it, you wouldn't think you could keep it and keep on going and be okay. The law spoke to me. He said the prophet spoke to me. The prophets pointed to the type of salvation that only Jesus could provide. This is what he spoke through Ezekiel to the Jews. He said, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, to be careful to obey my rules. He's saying this is what you should see that you need 
in the Old Testament scriptures, you need a new heart. And you need my spirit to be put within you. You need a prophet, but you need a true and a better prophet who will speak and reveal the Lord to you. You need a priest, but you need a new and better priest who can make a sacrifice once for all on your behalf. And you need a king, but you need the true and better king who will rule in righteousness and justice always. You need me. They were speaking of me. Not to mention all the other prophecies. All the other predictions about his birth and his life and where he would come from and what, he would, what would happen and how he would die. It's really all, so, all kind of summed up in this passage from Isaiah. Spoken hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. He says the suffering servant will come, and he will bear our sin, and he'll be broken for our sin. He will know our sorrows, our griefs, and our weaknesses. In fact, what he's saying is, Anytime you see in the Old Testament Scripture the nature of God, the character of God, the power of God, the presence of God, they are all witnessing to who he is. These Jews had studied the text, but they didn't experience eternal life because they weren't looking for Christ. That's why he said this lastly. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Jesus is saying that it's the Father that's speaking through all these witnesses. The Father spoke through John. The Father spoke through Jesus' works. The Father spoke through the scriptures. The question is, have you heard him? Have you heard the Father speak? The testimony of John the Baptist and the works of Jesus and the scriptures. Have you heard him? But then he says this, and it can be, it's astounding and it can be confusing. Jesus says that if you don't hear the Father speaking through all these different witnesses, then you don't because you don't have his word abiding in you. You see how confusing that is? You don't hear him speaking to you out of the words of John the Baptist and the words of Scripture and the works of Jesus because you don't have his word abiding in you. In other words, he's saying we can hear all the truth, you can hear all the witnesses, you can know all the story, you can, know all, you can study Scripture, you can know about the works of Jesus, you can hear about the testimony of John the Baptist, you can hear all the claims that Jesus made for himself, you can see all that he has done, but you can still miss the Father speaking through them, and this is why he says, because you do not believe the the one, that's Jesus, the Son, who he sent. And this is the great test. Do you have the witness of the Father to who the Son is within you? And if you don't, as you hear the words of John the Baptist and the works of Christ 
and the testimony of Scripture. If you don't hear the Father underscoring in all these, this is my Son. He is worthy of all worship and honor and love and praise. Who He is is true, and He has done what only He could do to satisfy your sin. If you don't hear the Father speaking through all of those things, then it's not a sign that it's not true. It's actually a damning sign that you don't believe in the one whom he has sent. He says, believe in him today. That's both a request and a command. Believe in Jesus Christ. Worship him as the Lord, as your Lord. It's as simple as that. But it's as big as that is, too. It's a profound thing that we're talking about. Because in Jesus as the Son of God, Christ, the Father, is showing you who he is. And he says, believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Repent, turn away from your sin, from your own self-rule, and trust alone in him. In his nature, in his sacrifice on the cross, and on his resurrection. Trust in him alone as your Savior. And he says this, you will be saved. And you will have the witness of the Father within you. As a request and a command to you today, if you do not know him, believe in him. Don't wait for a further sign. The witness is there in the word. The witness is there in the life of Christ and his works. The witness is there. Simply believe in him, listen to him, and put your trust in him. And if you're a believer today, refresh your worship of Jesus in this today, that he is who he says that he is. Listen to him and heed him. If he's speaking to you today, if he's calling you, if there's an area of your life that he's claiming his lordship over and you're holding back, repent and turn to him today because he is the one. I'm going to pray. We're going to open up communion this morning. Uh, As you come, if you're a believer in Christ, we open the table to you today. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you about something in your life. Maybe, Maybe you need to hang back and pray, but maybe he's speaking and he's calling you to come today as a refresher that Christ broke his body and shed his blood to be your complete guilt cleanser and to bring you back to the Father. And he is Lord or he is nothing. And let him, allow him to claim that lordship over that part of your life that you're holding back. If you're not a believer today, today can be the day that you believe in him and trust in him. So I just encourage you, maybe stay where you are and pray, but maybe come and find me, I'll be right over here, and say, I wanna know more about being a Christian. Don't worry about people looking at you. If that happens, they'll be rejoicing because they walk that path one day too. I'm going to pray and we're going to open the front. The, instead of being in the, I'm going to open the middle. Instead of being at the front, actually, we're going to be on right here in the middle and we're going to partake of communion together. And at that point, the kids will be coming back in to join us. Father, we thank you for your son, that he is Lord. We confess him to be Lord and King. We thank you for his work for us. We thank you for sending him for us. We celebrate him this morning. 
and all that you've done to bring us far away back near to you. Lord, we worship you and we praise you for that. In the name of Christ, amen.